just to give you a heads up, if you haven't worked it out already, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are pretty wild and hard work. So, you know, there's a big pile of chocolate fish out there by the coffee machine. You'll have all earned one by the time we get to the end. Uh, but what God's Word has to say is uh, really important for us. If we're going to be people who can endure uh, in a world that is hostile to God and His people. So, um, will you pray with me as we uh, look at God's Word together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Scriptures. We thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word, Lord, we pray now um, that we might understand uh, what is happening in our world and what is happening in the future uh, so that we might uh, hold fast to you, so that we might be wise, so that we might be righteous, so that we might last to the end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard the name Horatio Spafford before. Uh, he was a prominent American lawyer in Chicago in the 1880s, or 1800s. Uh, Horatio, he was a wealthy guy. Uh, he was married. He had four beautiful daughters and one son. Uh, and Horatio, he was a, a committed follower of Jesus. He was involved in church planting and mission work. Uh, he kind of had it all. Uh, in 1870, um, his life was turned upside down. Uh, his only son... Uh, died of scarlet fever at the age of four. The Great Chicago Fire happened, uh, which literally uh, burnt to the ground most of his physical wealth. Uh, after these tragedies, he thought, okay, we need a break. We need, we need to kind of get some, some clear air. So he and his family planned to go uh, over to Europe for a holiday as well as, you know, because he's a pretty godly guy. They, they were going to tack on a mission trip to their holiday. So they're going over to support a visiting preacher. Uh, just as they head down from Chicago to New York, as they get to New York, they're on the docks and they're about to board the ship when he, he, he hears that he needs to go back to Chicago to sort out a business matter. Uh, instead of it uh, work getting in the way of the family holiday, he, he sends his wife and his four daughters off on the ship over to the continent while he heads back to Chicago uh, and will follow as soon as he can. Uh, nine, nine days later, as he's in Chicago, he receives this telegram from his wife. It simply said, saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone, what shall I do? The ship his family was traveling on had in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean collided with another vessel. In 12 minutes, it sank. His wife was one of only 61 passengers to survive, and she was plucked unconscious from the freezing water. Now, upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship to Europe to join his grieving wife. Uh, it's, a it's, a, it's, a, it's a shocking tragedy. How could someone deal with such grief and loss? But if you thought the situation uh, couldn't get any worse, Horatio would have, uh, he'd go on to have another son and lose that son as well. Uh, Horatio would be shunned by his church, the church that he built, because they saw all these tragedies as God's divine judgment against him. Now, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know how far you've suffered. I don't know what sorts of things you've had to endure, but I know that there are people in this room, and I, I know that there, uh, there are people in this room who have been through or will go through more than enough. Uh, losing loved ones, even children, parents, friends, brothers and sisters, serious injury, illness. Uh, people here will go to the depths of despair and depression. Uh, some of us will be shunned by those we trust the most. Uh, we've been homesick, mistreated, 
Many of us will be cheated out of many different things. And there are times in this world where we will just say, I have had enough. I've reached my limit. I'm ready to call it quits. And then you can even find out there's even more to come. And it's devastating. How on earth are you going to keep going? How on earth can you keep moving forward? Well, that moment is exactly where the prophet Daniel is at this stage, in the final chapters of this book. As a young man, um, many decades earlier, Daniel watched his homeland be destroyed. He was kidnapped, and then he was taken off to exile in Babylon, and then he was forced to work. He was forced to work among and for the people who had destroyed his nation, who killed many of his family and friends. And then he'd spent his whole life in Babylon with his back against the wall. He'd seen his friends thrown into a fiery furnace. He himself had been fed to lions, but he'd been faithful to God every step of the way. He'd been faithful to God and God had been faithful to him. God has always been on Daniel's side, but last week we saw the future for God's people, it's still pretty bleak. As bad as the exile was... Uh, we saw in Daniel's chapter 8 and 9 that, 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 that there is more t- trouble to come for God's people. Last week we saw the exile will end, but life won't return to normal. Everything won't be sorted out. And at this point in history, where Daniel uh, chapters 10 to, le- 10 to 12 are written, the exile is actually already ending. Under King Cyrus, who we see there in verse 1, advanced parties are already returning to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding uh, the city. Uh, and Daniel is not there as one of them which I'm sure must have hurt. But even though the city is being rebuilt, there is more trouble that is on the the horizon. See, for, for poor old Daniel, he's still in Babylon and he's reached his limit and he's had enough, he's done. And we find him at the beginning of chapter 10 kind of sprawled out on the canvas he, and he's, he's just had this vision that completely floors him. Have a look there in chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. It was a me- its message was true and concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Daniel has seen something and he is a mess. He's kind of got a glimpse of the future. God has shown him what is to come and he's struggling to take it all in. There's more suffering for God's people. There is more trouble, more war, more desecration of God's holy places, more tyrants, more struggle. Daniel's seen that there's going to be more blood that we spilt before the end finally comes. And he's in mourning. He's sprawled out for three weeks. Now, these chapters here, they are hard work. The details here can be really difficult to to nail down. Uh, Some of uh, what is uh, written here lines up really well with what we know from uh, kind of known history, Uh, but some of it doesn't line up very well at all. Uh, But what we do know is that Daniel's vision here, he's been given a vision of the future of the physical world, and in that same vision, he's given a view behind the scenes of the spiritual battle that rages. And to make things complicated and why it's so hard to piece together is because those two pictures of the physical and the spiritual, they are overlaid in the same vision. Uh, And so, uh, chapter 10 is a long introduction to that vision uh, that we see in chapters 11 and 12. And in chapter 10, the first thing that we see is that we see that these spiritual forces behind the scenes, they are active, but God still rules over all. 
Spiritual forces are active, but God rules overall. Uh, in chapter 10, Daniel comes face to face with a messenger from God. Um, and like previously, Daniel's seen what's going to happen to the physical world. He learned that the next 300 years uh, about the kingdoms that are going to dominate uh, God's people. But now he kind of sees behind the curtain. He sees what's going on at the same time in the unseen spiritual world. This angelic warrior introduces Daniel to three figures. Uh, there's kind of one goodie and two baddies, if you kind of like to think about it that way. Uh, the first, in verse 13 and 21, we meet Michael, uh, who is a, like a, a particularly strong member of God's forces. Uh, and then in verses 13 to 20, we meet these princes, the prince of Persia. Uh, it's not just a video game. Uh, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Uh, these are these evil spiritual beings. And these evil spiritual beings have a particular interest in these actual physical kingdoms. Uh, now, for all intents and purposes, the outcome of this battle isn't in doubt. God and his forces win. But the conflict itself is real. And it's frightening. Which explains verses 15 to 17. Now, have a look down there at verse 16. Daniel says, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision. Because of, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, I can hardly breathe. You see, when Daniel gets a glimpse behind the curtain, when he sees the evil spiritual forces at work, he is speechless. He's overcome with anguish. He, he, he kind of hyperventilates and he needs this kind of angelic first aid that you can see there. Uh, now, these spiritual forces in this unseen spiritual war that's range, raging, it sounds scary and it sounds strange and it sounds weird. Uh, so it's worth us getting a few things right. It's not, these are not kind of the, the, the usual uh, waters we swim in. Uh, but there's a few key principles here that we need to work out from Daniel chapter 10. So we know what to do with this sort of stuff. So Daniel 10 tells us that the forces of good and evil are real. It may seem obvious, but it's important. The reality of spiritual beings, both good and evil, it is assumed throughout all of the Bible... But here, in this particular chapter, it's made explicit, it's made clear. The fact that these beings are given names and job titles, uh, and th that these descriptions kind of exist, uh, it makes it clear that these beings really exist. Now, the forces of good and evil are real. The second principle is that the forces of good and evil are active in our world. Now, from what Daniel's told, these spiritual beings have some influence on the physical world. They aren't just kind of sitting around in some disconnected spiritual realm, but their activity there has an impact. The spiritual conflict that Daniel sees parallels with the physical conflict that he sees around him. Uh, in some way, according to Daniel 10, the activity of evil men and evil empires is connected to the forces of evil in heaven. And so, uh, the forces of good and evil are active in our world. The third principle is we can see that we can see is that the forces of evil really only have one item on their agenda. The forces of evil are focused on thwarting God. Uh, they want to wreck his good world. They want to stop him from doing what he has set out to do. And in particular, they want to work to stop God from dealing with sin and death. Uh, this explains the reference to the 21-day delay. That's uh, there in uh, chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, have a look with me at verse 13. Uh, uh, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. 
You see this messenger who's turned up to, to, to talk to Daniel uh, in chapter 10. He was held up. He's late. He's late for his appointment with Daniel uh, because these other spiritual forces had kind of detained him. Uh, and he, need Mike, he needs Michael, God's strong rescuer, to come and, and, and free him so that he could make it to Daniel to pass on this vision, this message. And see, Satan and those evil forces that are on his side, they are spoilers. They are wreckers. All they can do is undermine and try and undo all the good that God does. These spiritual forces are active and they're focused on thwarting God's good work. And fourthly, the final principle from this chapter is that they ultimately cannot win. You see, we need to read Daniel chapter 10 in the context of everything we've read in the book of Daniel up until this point. And if you've journeyed with us through Daniel, um, what have we found? Well, even though Daniel here is a little worse for wear, the resounding message of the book is that despite present appearances, God is in control. Despite present appearances, God is in control. He is the ultimate king. He is, and his kingdom is the ultimate kingdom. Ultimately, no one can stand against him, whether they're the greatest kings on earth or the evil forces who sit behind those kings. They cannot defeat God and his eternal kingdom. They cannot ultimately win because God rules over all. Now, if God rules over all, if God wins to the end, you might be wondering, why do we need to actually know this stuff? Uh, why do we need this glimpse in Daniel chapter 10 of behind the scenes? Uh, well, we would do well to heed the warning of C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great author, he wrote um, uh, this uh, a book uh, called The Screwtape Letters. And in the introduction to his book, he wrote these uh, words. They should appear on the screen. He wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors that our race can fall into about the devils, that is, about the spiritual world. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is the evil spiritual forces, they are equally pleased by both and hail the materialist, the person who doesn't believe they exist, or the magician, the person who overly focuses on them. They hail them both with the same delight. We need to not deny that they are there, but we need to not be uh, too focused on, their, uh, on the world that they're in. And so as Daniel gets a glimpse behind the scenes, uh, this actually really does matter for us as we follow Jesus. It really does matter for us as we follow Jesus this week. See, unless we see that there is a spiritual battle raging, then we'll underestimate the power of evil. And unless we see that this spiritual battle is real then we underestimate the power of God. And unless we see this spiritual battle is going on, we underestimate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You see, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, we read that through Jesus' death, he has, it says, disarmed the powers and authorities, that is, the spiritual forces. He has disarmed the powers and authorities, and he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and that is great news. But dying on the cross, he also defeats the evil spiritual powers, and he defeats them once and for all. And that really makes a difference to how we live here and now. We can be aware of them, but we don't need to be afraid of them. We can be confident knowing that they are defeated by Jesus on the cross once and for all. 
Now back to Daniel. This is you know, and this is hard going. This is not like um, uh, this is much much more tough work than the lion's den and the fiery furnace. But back to uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, we get this glimpse in chapter 10 of what's going on in the spiritual realm. In chapters 11 and 12, uh, we get back to the nitty-gritty of human history. Uh, and in this, uh, these chapters, we see again the recurring theme of the book of Daniel. Uh, yes, this battle is raging. Uh, yes, a lot of hard and difficult things are going to happen. But chaos and evil do not reign. Because in these last two chapters, we see again and again that God is in control. We see that God, He is the one who rules over all. And God is the one who will rescue his people. Uh, now, chapter 11 begins a bit of a rerun of a bunch of uh, the history we've seen already in the book of Daniel. We see human kingdoms rise and fall, but God rules over all. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 2, we meet the, the Babylonian, well, sorry, we see that the Babylonian kingdoms have gone, and now the Medes and the Persians are in control. Uh, that won't last too long before Alexander the Great, you might have heard of him, and his Greek empire, uh, they come and conquer pretty much the whole of the known world. Uh, but then Alexander the Great dies abruptly and his kingdom is split between his four generals. Uh, and I've got a graphic here for you, if you don't mind the, the 1980s computer graphics. Uh, here is a map of how that, of Alexander the Great's kingdom was uh, divided amongst his generals. Uh, and, and Daniel chapter 11 will focus on uh, the kings of the north, which is the yellow, ki yellow kingdom, and the kings of the south, which is the green kingdom. Uh, and it focuses on those two kingdoms, uh, because if you're Israel, where are you? You're the meat and the sandwich, aren't you? Uh, as, the, as those two kingdoms will battle and push each other backwards and forwards, the battlefield is going to be the nation of Israel, isn't it? But then things get worse. Uh, in verse 21, uh, in chapter 11, we meet Antiochus Epiphanes IV, uh, you might have heard of him before. He's a nasty piece of work. But the thing that's particularly special about him was he had a, a, a unique hatred for the people of God. And he takes that to a new level. In chapter 11, verse 29, we see what comes of one of his military campaigns. Uh, chapter 11, verse 29. At the appointed time, he, that's Antiochus, uh, he will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the west coast, western coastline will oppose him and he will lose heart. And here it is. He will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Now, what's that saying there? It's saying that when Antiochus is defeated by someone else, God's people, they're going to cop it again. Antiochus Epiphanes, he's kind of like the guy who loses an argument and he storms out of the room and he kicks the cat on the way out to vent his frustration. Israel is going to be his punching bag as he vents his anger. And this will happen until the time that God has appointed for his demise. Uh, but chapter 11 gets a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, and from this point, it's really hard to work out what's, what's going on. Because the description of this evil king... Uh, it begins to morph into a description of the evil king. Uh, the description of this evil king morphs with the, the description of the evil king. Uh, we seem to switch without much notice from the physical world to the spiritual world. Uh, and this reminds us that what's going on here is not just simply a history lesson. It reminds us that there is this battle going on between good and evil. The kings and rulers of this world, they are pieces in a cosmic battle that is really taking place. Human kingdoms will rise and fall. But what's clear from chapter 11 is 
God still rules over all. God still rules over all. He is writing the script. He's got it sorted out. He's ruling over all to bring about His plans and His purposes. And this is what we see in this final chapter, in chapter 12. What are God's plans and purposes? Where is everything heading under God's controlling hand? Well, chapter 12, God's rule means rescue for God's people. God's rule means rescue for God's people. Have a look at me at chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 1, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress as such as not hap- has happened before. Sorry, there'll be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, will be delivered. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, what's it talking about here? Well, this is a, a picture of the end of the story, where everything is headed. This is, this is the end of the world on show here. And we see these four things are going to happen. We see that there's going to be this intense conflict. We see that God is going to win and rescue His people. We see that everyone will be raised and everyone will be judged. And after all that Daniel has been through, here is finally the good news. Here's the good news. They'll have to wait But in the end, they will not be disappointed. In the end, God will win. In the end, God will rescue them. In the end, God will raise everyone from the dead, some to judgment and others to everlasting life. And the key for us as to where we'll end up is whether or not we're among the people here who are called the wise. Are you among the wise? In the book of Daniel, the wise, well, they're the ones who recognize that God is the King of kings. They're the ones who trust in God, even in the hardest of times. The wise, well, they awake. They awake to everlasting life. They will shine like the brightness of heaven, shining like stars. But those who reject God as their king, Those who reject God's wisdom, well, they will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt, it says. And they will be held accountable. And for Daniel, this is comforting. For him and his friends, this is comforting. There will be accountability. There will be justice for those who have mistreated God and His people. They will experience shame and everlasting contempt. So for Daniel and his friends, as they sit there in Babylon... Even if they die in exile, it is not the end for them. Their faithful, their patient endurance, it will be rewarded. Because God wins in the end. There is hope in their future, even despite the hardship of the present. There is hope for the wise, for those who recognize that God is the King of Kings. So Daniel's chapter 10 to 12, uh, they're hard work, uh, but what will they say to us here in 21st century Wellington? Uh, The first thing I think it says uh, to us is uh, that despite the hardships, despite the trouble, 
uh, this passage is telling us to get on with it. It's telling us to get on with living for God as the king. Uh, look what the messenger says in chapter 12, verse 9, to Daniel. Uh, he's just said, the, the messenger who's come to Daniel has just been talking with one of his shiny mates, and he's saying that a long time's going to pass before this happens. And Daniel overhears this conversation. Uh, and then in verse 8, Daniel says, so what should I do? Like, how, do I, how does this all work out? And then the man answers and says, go your way, Daniel, in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel. And then in verse 13, he says, go your way till the end, Daniel. In other words, they're telling Daniel, you don't need to worry about this, you just need to get on with it. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle. Yes, dramatic things will happen. Yes, hard times will come. Yes, God will rescue through Jesus. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, we get on with it. We get on with living for Him. We get on living with God as our King, the King of Kings. Because God is God, because we can trust Him. Because he is the king and the judge, and he wins in the end. And because he is the king and the judge, and he wins in the end, the only thing that makes sense now is to throw ourselves into living for him. To just get on with it. Uh, now, it's no doubt these, no, no doubt these are tricky parts uh, of Daniel, but God shows him this. He shows him this because he wants him to keep going. He wants Daniel to keep following him all the way to the end. And what does getting on with it look like for Daniel? Well, I think it means two things. Have a go in chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, what are the, what are the most valuable most significant, what are the most vital things we could spend our energy on here and now? Well, there are two instructions there. Share God's wisdom and lead people to righteousness. These are the greatest gifts that God has given us. These are the greatest gifts that we have to share with other people. Uh, the wisdom of God clearly expressed in the Lord Jesus and leading people to righteousness, the righteousness that comes from knowing Him. And so as the world comes crashing down around us, the best thing we can do is keep telling people about Jesus. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep sharing the good news of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. But God just doesn't tell Daniel to get on with it. He tells him to look forward as well. Verse 3 again. Those who are wise will rise to everlasting life, shine like the brightness of the heavens, and will shine like stars forever and ever. And verse 10, many will be purified, made spotless and refined. And then verse 13, as for you, go your way to the end, you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. We, like Daniel, we should keep going now because of what God has in store for us in the future. This life is not the end. I don't know whether you've realized it, but the, the person with the most toys or the most friends or the most money or the most happiness, they don't win in the end because they can't take any of that with them. The one who trusts in Jesus wins. They are the one who receives the reward. So if that's you, the end of Daniel is saying, look forward to it. 
Look forward to it. Set your heart there. Set your hope there. I'm sure as Daniel walked around Babylon, he saw all that Babylon had to offer. I'm sure it was tempting. It was tempting to uh, abandon the hope that God had given him and settle for what he had in Babylon. Settle for the riches, the fame, the recognition, the job satisfaction of Babylon. But that's not what he does. He sets his hope on God. He sets his hope on the reward that God has for him and his people. I began by letting you know about Horatio Spafford, the man who went through that completely unthinkable suffering. Uh, Well, when he received the news of the the deaths of his daughters, he rushed and he he got the first ship over to Europe. Uh, And during the voyage, the captain called him to the bridge And this is what the captain said to him as he was up there on the bridge. He said, a careful reckoning has been made and I believe we're now passing the place where the ship was wrecked. The water is three miles deep. Uh, Horatio then returned to his cabin as they sailed over the place where his four daughters drowned only two weeks before. Uh, He wrote the lyrics to a great hymn. These are the words he wrote. He wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Now, Horatio didn't write those words, it is well with my soul because of his great success. He didn't write them because he was living his best life. He didn't write them because he was happy. They were the words of a broken man. A man in the depths of despair. But a broken man who understood the book of Daniel. A broken man who understood that despite the sufferings and the trials of life, He knew that God was God. He knew that God was in control. He knew that God has won the battle over good and won the battle of good and evil. He was wise. He knew that God was his king. He knew that God was all that he needed to be able to endure. Now I pray that nothing even close to what happened to him might happen to you or me. But I pray that if it does, and even if it doesn't, I pray that we can sing with Horatio, we can sing with Daniel, that whatever happens, it is well with my soul. It is well because God wins in the end. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these are difficult uh, parts of your word both to understand Uh, but also to apply. Lord, when we look at the world with despair and frustration, we pray that we might see that you are in control, that you win in the end. And so, Lord, we pray that we might get on with living for you as our King and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus, knowing that if we trust in you, whatever happens, Lord, it is well, it is well with our soul. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.